with God. No oops uh, with God Almighty. He is never uh, and will be ever be surprised. Uh, he is the omniscient one, amen. He is all-knowing. Uh, in fact, uh, the very number of hair strands and, uh, and, uh, on your head right now, he knows. Uh, Luke uh, 12, 7 and Matthew 10, 30 tells us that. Undoubtedly, some of you have less uh, than some of us. But nevertheless, he knows uh, every hair strand that you have in your hair, uh, in your head right now. And so when Adam and Eve fell in sin at the Garden of Eden, that awful and momentous event that has affected the human race throughout time uh, did not catch God by surprise. Not at all. God in his grace, love, and mercy for man let me say that again. God in his love and mercy and grace for man had a plan all along. A plan before the foundation of the world to redeem mankind from their sin and the judgment of their sin through the Lamb of God. Way back in the Genesis record, God promised he then prepared what he promised in the virgin birth. Uh, and he provided when Jesus, the Lamb of God, was born wrapped in swaddling clothes, uh, lying on a manger, or in a manger, in uh, swaddling clothes. Uh, a manger, this is a, a representation of a manger, of course. It's an animal feed trough. Now, there's different kinds of uh, manger. This is the, the wooden one. And again, this is an attempt to uh, help you visualize how it looks. Uh, but some are, are carved out of stone. But nevertheless, God Almighty, Son of God, was born in an animal feed trough. What was planned, promised, prepared, provided, continues. And this morning we are going to consider the Lamb presented. The Lamb presented. My dear ones, I don't know what's in your head and heart this morning. I don't know what your ponderings are. I pray that this message be an encouragement to you. Uh, perhaps a loving rebuke for some. Perhaps even a way for you to come to the Savior Christ, the Lord. Whatever is in your heart right now, whatever ponderings you have, I encourage us all to be in awe of wonder in the Lamb of God presented to man. title of our message this morning is The Lamb Presented. Hebrews chapter 10, please. The book of Hebrews in chapter 10. And once you found your spot, uh, if uh, you would be, and if you're able to stand with me, please. Hebrews chapter 10. Share your Bibles to those that uh, don't have a Bible. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10 to 14. Let's be upstanding, please. 
Hebrews chapter 10. Here in verse 10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you once again for this time. Thank you that we can gather here as your people, united in our hearts and in, my, in, our, in our minds to worship you in spirit and in truth. Oh, Father, I pray that... Uh, whatever uh, is in our, uh, our hearts right now, uh, I pray that we would just cast it aside for a moment and focus our attention in you, the worship of you today. Dear God, I pray once again for your power from on high. Help me to say the things you want me to say and to withhold those things that you do not want me to say. May your word be central uh, into uh, these uh, few minutes of our time. Dear God, I pray once again that you'd meet with us, teach us your truth, and I pray that your will and way would be accomplished in each and every one of us today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Notice, firstly, the tragedy behind the Lamb's presentation. The tragedy behind the Lamb's presentation. Verse 10, Jesus became the offering. His body became the sacrifice for sins, verse 12. Here, folks, the Son of God as a sin offering was not a pretty sight. It's not a pretty sight. It was blasphemous. It was barbaric. It's brutal. And it's beyond belief. Verse 10 here is a, 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 a token to us, a representation of us, of the Son of God being the offering. Beloved, he was betrayed and deserted by his own disciples, Matthew 26. Beaten by the temple guards at the time. Uh, you'll see that in Luke 22. Rejected by the very people he came to save in Matthew 27. He was scourged and illegally and mercilessly done on him. Every time that whip goes on his back, erupts around his body, and every time the lictor would pull that whip, parts of his flesh would come with it. His muscles were torn as he is being scourged. He was abused physically and verbally and was crowned mockingly with thorn bush. His beard, was plucked from his face, Isaiah 50. 
Stripped naked he was, Matthew 27. Crucified, nailed to a cross, hung up, and left to die. All these and more were done, and at the end of it, at the very end of it in the hands of cruel men, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah describing in Isaiah 50 verse 14, he was absolutely marred and unrecognizable as a man. It wasn't pretty. Dr. C. Truman Davis tried to describe the horror of the cross, and I quote, The cross is placed on the ground, and exhausted Jesus is quickly thrown backwards with his shoulders against the wood. The legionnaire feels for the depression at the front of the wrist. He drives a square, heavy, uh, wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly he moves to the other side and repeats the action. Being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow some flex and movement. The cross is then lifted up into a place. The left foot is pressed backward against the right foot. And with both feet extended, toes down, and a nail is driven through the arc of each, leaving the knees flexed, the victim is now crucified. As he slowly sags down with more weight on the nails in the wrist, excruciating fiery pain shoots along the fingers up the arms to explode in the brain. The nails in the wrists are putting pressure on the median nerves. As he pushes himself upward to avoid this stretching torment, he places the full weight of the nail through his feet. Again, he feels the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the bones on his feet. As the arms fatigue, cramps sweep through the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward to breathe. Air can be drawn into the lungs, but not exhaled. He fights to raise himself in order to get even one small breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream, and the cramps partially subside. Spasmodically, he is able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in life-giving oxygen. Hours of this limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rendering cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, that is, deprivation of oxygen, searing pain as tissue is thrown from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber, then another agony begins. A deep crushing pain, deep 
in the chest as the pericardium, that fluid sac that surrounds your heart, slowly fills with serum and begins to compress it. It is now almost over. The loss of tissue fluids has reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissues. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to gasp in small gulps of air. He can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues. And finally, he can allow himself to die. I submit to you this morning that if you are or have been very casual in your understanding of the crucifixion of Christ, you will have no idea why there is Christmas. So why is there Christmas? What was and is the reason for the birth of Christ? In our text, verse 10, by the which will we are sanctified once for all. One sacrifice for sins forever, verse 12. These two verses alone and many more others tell us that Jesus Christ did not die for himself. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 tells us that he died without sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. He, the just for the unjust. He, the sinless for the sinful. He did not die for himself. He offered himself that he might bring us to God. First Peter chapter 3 verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He died so we might live. He laid down his life. No one took it away from him. He gave it all himself. He chose to die for you and for me. Notice the word offered or offering here in this passage. It's what it was mentioned several times in this. In verse 10, offering. In verse 11, offering. In verse 12, offered. And in verse 14, offering again. That word, beloved, has the idea of present or presenting or gift giving even. This Christmas time, you and I will receive gifts from our loved ones. And the Lord Jesus, who is the God of love and uh, love personified, gave us the precious and the greatest gift of all. The gift of himself through the death at the cross of Calvary. The tragedy behind the lamb presented. Notice now, secondly, the testimony of the lamb presented. 
the testimony of the Lamb presented. It is, my dear ones, firstly, a testimony of conversion. Still here in verse 10. By the which will we are sanctified. The word sanctified means here to be holy, to be separated, to, to be committed, to be dedicated to God. The idea here is not about religion. It is not about denomination, whether you're a Baptist or a Presbyterian or even a Catholic. That's not the idea here. The idea here is that through the death of Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary, through the sacrifice for sin by Christ, once for all and forever, those who trust in him and him alone are sanctified. They are to be made holy if you like. You and I know that we are anything but holy. You can ask my sister. She's here. I'm not holy. Nor will I ever be on my own strength. Apart from the cross, we really are not sanctified, but sinners condemned. That's who we are. We may not like to hear that, but that is the truth according to God's word, the Bible. Turn to the book of Romans chapter 3, please. Romans chapter 3, uh, a very familiar verse for so many of you. Romans chapter 3, beginning here in verse 9. Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before prove both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now, oh, but now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. Verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now turn to just a few more pages to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 in verse 1. And if you are a child of God here this morning, the Bible tells us, Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. 
And praise God, there is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation, vain meaning lifestyle, vain lifestyle, that's what that word means, received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Praise God for the power of the blood of the one who was born in Bethlehem. And anyone that would come to him in faith would be sanctified, will be made holy. And all did he not say, after all of this, did he not say, be holy, for I am holy. Notice now the testimony of conquest, of victory. Here in verse 12, uh, in our text, we read, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, one, sat down on the right hand of God. Now contrast that, compare that to the priests in verse 11. And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, notice, which can never take away sins. The priest himself would go in and offer an animal sacrifice for his own self first. And then after that, he would then offer a sacrifice for the people Israel. Uh, uh, every year, every year on Yom Kippur, uh, the priest, the high priest, uh, would do this every year. And whatever he's doing, whatever sacrifice, the blood of bulls and goats, the Bible says, cannot and can never ever take away the sin of the world. It covers it for the one year until the next year again. Oh, but when Jesus died at the cross, everything changed. Everything changed. His sacrifice of himself was the one time, once for all, one sacrifice for sins. And the Bible says forever, not yearly, not monthly, not weekly, not daily, not even this worship service or mass that we do every Sunday. No, once for all, forever. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? We know that there is none righteous, no, not one. Not you, not me, not one. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10, we learn that. For all that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Verse 23. And here's a sobering thought for you and me. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. The judgment, the penalty, the wage, you work to get paid. You get wages. So the work of sin, the payment of that is death. That's why every one of us will die. 
Some die old, like our brother Eric. Some die young. Some die out of sickness, cancer, heart attack. And some die uh, by accident. But every one of us will die one day. We have an appointed time. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. My friend, are you ready to face your creator? You can't escape it. We often say there's only two certainties in this life, death and taxes. Yeah. Every one of us will die. Now, while every one of us will die physically, not every one of us have to die spiritually. Now, every one of us will die physically, biologically, but not every one of us will have to die spiritually. You see, that verse, the wages of sin is death, that verse did not finish there. Turn there, actually, uh, Romans chapter 6. And let me, let me show you this wonderful verse, one of the first few verses I've learned uh, when I got saved in Manila uh, in 1980. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Um, for the wages of sin is death. Notice that contrast word, that three-letter word, but. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Don't you love that word, but? The gift of God is eternal life through what? Look at it. Did it say through works? No. Did it say through religion? No. Did it say through or how good we are? No. Did it say how much charity we've done in our life? No. It says through Jesus Christ the Lord. Nothing else and no one else but through Jesus Christ. He is God's gift to man. What do you do with a gift? You just gave me, some of you gave me gifts today. My chair is full of goodies, books, uh, cards, yum-yums, and thank you again. Now, where's Stephanie? I don't want to embarrass you, sister. Stephanie gave me this little heavy box, and I had to ask, uh, I think, Scott or Mitchell. Steph? If I say, how much is it? I'd pay for it. What would you feel? You wouldn't like it, doesn't it? Okay. What do we do with a gift? Do we pay for it? No, that's rude. What if I say to Zoe, uh, I'm looking forward to this book. Zoe, thank you. I've got plenty of books that I do. Now, how would she feel if I reject it? If I ask how much is it, I'll pay for it. I'll be rude. If I say and reject it, no thanks, but no thanks, Zoe. That's even worse. What do you do with a gift? You receive it graciously and with thankfulness in your heart. And yet how many men, women, and child reject the greatest gift of God to men? I'm right. 
I'll be fine. I'll make it to heaven my own way. Thank you very much. That's what we do. We reject the gift of God. Oh, beloved, I hope that you're not one of those. I pray that you're not one of those. The Lamb is a testimony of conversion. He is a testimony of conquest and, and of victory. And then thirdly, a testimony of completion. Verse 14 of our text, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. That, beloved, is a testimony of completion. The death of Christ guarantees salvation to all those who come to Jesus by faith. When a sinner responds to the gospel message and accepts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that person is made complete and whole in Jesus. They are no longer seen as sinner condemned and destined to hell, but rather they are still a sinner, only this time a sinner saved by grace destined to heaven their sins are washed away and they are given that means they are imparted the perfect righteousness of the lord jesus christ left in and of ourselves we have no righteousness whatever righteousness we have is because god has imparted that righteousness to us in jesus christ god no longer sees us as we are but he sees us as Jesus is. I will never be holy. I said that earlier on my own. He on the other hand. Is nothing but holy. Uh, uh, when I was saved. I was given the righteousness. And he took my sins away. Once again. That verse on the wall. Let's say it together. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Not only does the death of Jesus bring about salvation from sin. It also guarantees all those who trust in him in eternal life. The words forever here in our text in verse 14 confirms what we just read. In 1 Peter 1 verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God. I can't keep me. Cherry cannot keep me. You cannot keep me. Uh, only God can keep me who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time at the last time. In John chapter 10, verse 28, and I give unto them eternal life, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad about that? That you don't have to keep keeping up. It's the Lord Jesus working in and through you, sanctifying you. That means confirming you to become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the change that is occurring in you, the way you think, the way you say things, the way you act, the way your perspective changes because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which had begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The tragedy in the Lamb presented. The testimony of the Lamb presented. And after this we are done. The triumph. The triumph of the Lamb presented. Look at verse 12 with me. Uh, again please. Hebrews chapter 10. Here in verse 
at 12 again. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down in the right hand of God. Verse 13, from henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his foot. Here we can see clearly from tragedy into triumph, the one with a capital O who hung helplessly at the cross is now seated at the right hand of God. The right hand of God in scripture always means authority, power, victory. He is now seated at the right hand of God, expecting, that means waiting for all his enemies to be made his, his footstool. Wow. Have you ever wondered why? Have you ever wondered why there's so much chaos in the world today? And you see around you the death and devastation and all the atrocities that happen in our world today. Uh, people uh, being uh, uh, maliciously uh, and mercilessly, uh, unjustifyingly, uh, and you wonder and you say, where is God in all of this? How could this be right? How could people die innocently? How could a group of people would take young women like Lublin, uh, molest, rape, and then kill them. All in the name of religion. How can a baby in the womb is not even given a chance to live? And let's not be self-righteous about this. It's happening here in Australia. Till full term, Karen. I'm sure you read. You can now abort babies up to full term. And you scratch your head. How? Why does God allow these things? Is he blind? Is he deaf? Doesn't he care? Of course he does. Oh, but one day. One day he will sit in his righteous throne and judge humanity for their cruelty. For all this time since Bethlehem, he has given mankind an opportunity to go back to him, to be reconciled back to him. It was only because of man's sin that we were separated from God. And the things that are happening in the world today, beloved, look at me. It's not God's fault. It is man's fault. It's because of man's sin. And not because of God that these things are happening. God is a loving God. God is a just God. God is a righteous God. God is a merciful God. God is a gracious God. But in spite of all that, man says, not for me. So whose fault was it? God? 
who provides the very air that you and I breathe right here, right now. Every waking moment of your life, you're able to open your eyes because of his grace and his mercy. As I said, we all have an appointed time. I may not wake up tomorrow. And if I don't, praise him. You'll miss me and I'll miss you. But I'll see you in glory. I'll be with Brother Eric. We'll probably dance around with his perfect ninnies. The one who hung helplessly at the cross is now seated at the right hand of God to be and waiting for his enemies to be um, his footstool. Here, beloved, is the life summary of Jesus Christ from the crib to the cross, and I'm missing one item here, the crown. When you look at this, it's one of my favorite, and I thank Iris every Christmas time she puts this out. This, to me, is a, a, a very good manifestation of what Christmas is. It shows us the very life of Jesus Christ from the time he was born to the crib, really a manger, to the cross, and indeed the crown. Notice the cross behind me. There's no one there. He's gone. He was raised from the dead, triumphant uh, in the hand, right hand of God. You see, the Lord Jesus did die, but more importantly, he did not remain dead. He rose from the dead triumphant, for death could not contain him. Show me any other who claims to be God who is still alive today. Buddha of Buddhism is dead. Shiva, Krishna, Vishnu, Rama, uh, 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 Ganesha, uh, all uh, of the Hindu deities, uh, they're all dead. The Jim Jones of this world, the David Koresh of this world, they're all dead. Only Jesus Christ is alive and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Uh, John 11, verse 25 to 26, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Praise God, Jesus is alive today. Otherwise, your faith, my faith, our faith, is all in vain if he did not rise from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Everything is about the Scriptures. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead. Then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is also in vain. But our faith is not in vain, for we believe and serve the risen Christ. Look at the cross behind me, like I said. He is not there anymore. Every knee, beloved, one day shall bow before the Lord Jesus Almighty, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But you see, if you come and confess him now, he will be your savior. But if you reject him, those of you who are watching me right now, those of you who are listening to me right now, if you reject him, 
there will come a day, one day to the future, that you and you will bow before him, this time not as a savior, but as a judge. He will execute judgment against sin. Today, we're living through what we call the age of grace. Theologically, that means God is withholding his judgment. God is withholding his punishment so that you and I can come to him as a savior. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Revelation, the last book of the Bible, the very prophetic book. And it's rife in this our age, beloved. Verses 5 to 8. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And he said unto me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Uh, I will give unto him that is a thirst, the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son but the fearful the unbelieving the rejecters of Christ and the abominable and the murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That is the spiritual death. You see, beloved, I am concerned that what we label as sin are those that murdered someone. Those that have committed a heinous crime. But did you hear what the Bible says? Those that are unbelieving. Those that are rejectors of Christ. And then it says, all liars don't raise your hand. Are we not all liars at one point or another? But you see, we say, well, you know, it's just a little lie. But you see, the Bible is explicit about it. Those that are lying and have been liars will have a part in the lake if they are not forgiven of their sin. My friend, where are you at this morning? What? Or who are you trusting your eternal destiny to? It's yet another Christmas time. The year is about to end with the prospect of a new. There is no guarantee of a new year. Like I said, I could have a heart attack after eating so much pork this Christmas time. Hmm? But you see, who? Are you trusting your eternal destiny with? Religion will not save you. Not your good works. Only the sacrifice of Jesus Christ will. John chapter 4, verse six, 14, verse 6. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. Acts 4, 12. Neither is there salvation in any other uh, for there is one other name, none other name under heaven given among men, whereby 
we must be saved. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, if we're just going to be saved and go to heaven because of our good works, when we get up there and say, I am here, God, because of what I did. And that's why it is never through our works that we get up to heaven. It's all through him. Titus 3, 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. This Christmas time. How are you going to celebrate it? Is it the same old, same old? Is Christmas time just a tradition for you? Is Christmas time just a way to get together and enjoy the family, which is great? But as your pastor and one that genuinely cares and loves you, oh, beloved, let's put Christ at the center of our Christmas celebration. He was born in Bethlehem to die in Jerusalem for you and for me. If you have any questions about that, if you have any uncertainty, Pastor, I don't know where will I spend eternity. I really don't have any assurance of where I would be if the Lord takes my life away. You can know. The book tells us. And I'm here, Brother Branko is here, Brother Abdu, uh, and we can show you from the Bible how it is that you can know your eternal destiny. Our Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that we have your word. Thank you that we can celebrate this Christmas time with a real understanding of the reason for the season. The Savior who came to save sinners. So, Father, as I uh, have been given the privilege to share your word today, once again, I ask that if there's one, two, or three within our midst that have not yet surrendered their lives in the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, may this Christmas time be the time of their salvation. Because one day it may be too late. One day, we will come face to face with you. And this same Bible says, For whosoever is, whose name is not written in the book of life shall be cast out into the lake of fire forever and ever. So, Father, I thank you for the opportunity to preach this morning yet again. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.